Amen. All right, well, let me invite you to turn in your worship guide to page three for the reading of Scripture. I'm going to read the passage that's printed there uh, and then invite you to respond as directed below. Would you listen now with open ears as I read from the gospel of our Lord? And he, that is Jesus, called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, and when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by the hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, 
but their hearts were hardened. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Let's pray together. O Lord our God, we come to this time and we sit under these words. And Lord, as we uh, hear from these men uh, about their experiences and about their story and about uh, this remarkable turn of events, Lord, I recognize that as we sit under these words and as we've sung these songs and as we've heard uh, our city prayed for, Lord, I recognize that we come here from all sorts of different places. Some of us uh, come in here and our lives are delightful. They're peaceful. Things are well. And yet others of us come in here and our lives are chaotic and hard and painful. Uh, Some of us have deep wounds in our relationships, some even in our marriages. And Lord, I recognize further that some of us come in here with a deep and abiding and a strong faith and belief and trust in you, and yet others of us come in here and we feel as though our faith is barely hanging on by a thread. Others of us, no doubt, are here and we don't believe in you. We're quite confident that you don't exist, and we're not even sure how we ended up sitting in these chairs this morning. Lord, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in, whether we come here uh, this morning in a season of peace or of chaos, whether we come here uh, with much faith in you or dealing with all kinds of doubt, I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, we all come here ultimately the same, with an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, and to be changed by you. And I pray that you would show us how you have addressed this need in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Darren, and I'm the pastor here, and we are in a sermon series that we're sort of picking back up that we're calling uh, Immediately the Urgent Mission of Jesus Christ. And this sermon series is based off of Mark's gospel. And uh, in this writing... What's happening now is that Mark is beginning to zero in on how he and his colleagues began to process the mission that Jesus had for them. And one of the interesting things that happens in the book of Mark is that you begin to see Mark and his colleagues criticized more and more and more and more. And that's one of the reasons, by the way, that we have strong reason to believe that the Gospels are actually authentic, right? If you were going to create a religion and you were going to call people to uh, follow someone and then the story featured yourself, you probably wouldn't start criticizing yourself more and more and more and more, but that's exactly what happens in the Gospel of Mark. And what's going on here, I believe, is that the Apostles are recording for us how it is that they became equipped to make it through the mission that they would ultimately be called to. And in this passage in particular, I titled this sermon, Come Away and Rest. Because essential to them completing their mission and essential to you completing the mission that you have from God, the calling that's on your life and for your family, essential to that mission in a way that cannot be overstated, is to learn how it is that you will find rest. Now, the very appropriate time of the year, I believe, for this sermon, I find that September, at least for me and and my family, is one of the most exhausting months of the year, right? And it's hard because you come off of the summer that's very relaxing, very peaceful, very calm, and then you get to September, and it is like a Mack truck running you over with school and commitments and activities and church stuff and all this other kinds of stuff. 
and you find yourself pushed to the limit uh, in this rhythm. And I wanted to ask you, as, as we consider this, I want you to think about a time that you were pushed beyond your limits with stress, with responsibility, and with exhaustion. Go ahead and get that in your mind. Time that you were pushed beyond your limits. I'm going I'm to be vulnerable, guys. Share with you one such time that happened not too long ago. I, um, as, as you guys, many, many of you know, I operate a uh, consulting business for computer stuff on the side, and I had forgotten about a commitment I made to a client on a Saturday morning. And uh, sometimes when I get overconfident in my life, I will schedule things without looking at my calendar. And actually that happened this one particular Saturday. And so I had to move some things around to react to this, and I ended up having an early morning meeting. And then I had the clients you know, doing stuff with them over the phone. And then I had forgotten that I had uh, scheduled someone to come and pick up our stove that we were selling. So the client project could not have gone worse. It was the absolute worst. I, and I was praying. I was like, Lord, please help this go smoothly. It went terribly. I mean, things were broken all over the place. And I was getting person after person saying, you know, this doesn't work. You know, that doesn't work. You know, that thing doesn't work. And then Chrissy says, you know, Darren, we got to disconnect the stove. So I put the clients on hold. I run down and have a, a wrench about this long, and I'm trying to get the gas off, and I am just pushing and pushing and pushing, and finally, I just scream, because <laughs> like, thing won't come off. And these guys are arriving in a few minutes, right? In the middle of all these things happening, although not at, not, not at the time of the stove, but a little while later, I'm still fighting all these problems, and the stove is going on, and then the folks that operate the catering here text me, and they say, Darren, the screens aren't working. <laughs> So in the middle of this all, I had all these different folks uh, from the various places of my life asking me to do things, and I was failing all of them, right? And I let out a scream. I literally let out a scream. And Chrissy, at that point, being a great wife, uh, she called a friend of mine who came over and disconnected my stove at a moment's notice. He had the right tools to do so, and we got it into the person's car, uh, and, and life went on. And I say that because, uh, you know, I wonder what your story is where you've been pushed to the edge. Some of you, I know, have been, some of you experience uh, seasons of, of more than what I described if you're in a season of crisis, right? And I know that my situation in no way compares to the gravity of what some of you face, right? Some of you are in long seasons of that. And I say that because if we're going to make it on mission for Jesus Christ, we need to learn how it is that we are called to rest. We also need to manage our calendars, by the way, <laughs> which I'm learning about, uh, but we, we need to learn how it is we are to rest. And as I was studying this passage, I found that it, what it's teaching was absolutely shocking, surprising, and very different from how I had previously understood to go about doing that. So I'm excited to share with you uh, what we find here. So the passage begins by Jesus sending out his disciples to go on mission. The context of this uh, first part of the passage, by the way, is Jesus has just been teaching in his hometown, and he is absolutely rejected by those who knew him. They said, we can't listen to this man because we know his parents. We knew him as a little kid. How can he possibly become our teacher? He has not earned that right yet. And they reject him. Right after that, Jesus sends out these uh, apostles to go about and to do this work 
that he had himself been doing. And if you notice in the first paragraph, what's interesting, what comes to the light, is that Jesus is very intent to give them instructions that they must go out in a posture of dependence, right? You know, they can't even take a change of clothes. Now think about that for a second. You're going to be going out, walking in Israel, you know, from house to house to house, and you're not even allowed a change of clothes. They can't take money. Uh, They're going to be absolutely dependent uh, on the hospitality of others. Would have been frightening. But it, verse 13 says that they go out and they find success. They cast out many demons, they anoint many with oil and the sick, and they healed them. And they come back on the heels of that. Right? And put yourself in their position. They go out in absolute dependence on other people in a way that I think hardly any of us can have any sort of appreciation for. They go out in this state of absolute dependence, and it actually works. The sick are actually healed. Miracles are taking place at their hands. They come back all excited to tell Jesus all what happened. The adrenaline is still running strong, right? They get to Jesus, and Jesus says, you know what? You deserve a break. Come away to a desolate place and rest. And doesn't that sound so pleasant to your soul? Come away to a desolate place and rest. In fact, our very first women's retreat was called Come Rest, as I recall. Come away to a desolate place and rest. Let's go to the Adirondacks. Let's go to the lake. Let's go to the beach. Let's be by ourselves and rest. And of course, uh, they go ahead and they do that, and they go to a desolate place and rest. But unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, this crowd of people figures out where they're going, where Jesus is going, and they get there first, right? So they go to a place they don't think anyone's going to be. They are going to unwind. They are going to process all that's just happened. They're going to have some peace and quiet. And when they show up at the, quote, desolate place, there's a crowd of about 5,000 people there waiting to be served. And when Jesus arrives, the disciples are wondering, you know, what are we going to do now? Do we find a new place? Do we... You know, how do we go about doing this? It says that Jesus sees the crowd and he feels compassion on them because they are like sheep without a shepherd. And friends, I want to just pause for just a second on that uh, before we move on. Just a quick comment on that. Right? It's easy to feel like you might be a burden to the Lord. Oh, here I am again needing something from you, God. Here I am again having messed up. Here I am again with all my problems coming to you. Right? But even in this context, even in this time of tiredness, of exhaustion, right? it says they had no leisure even to eat. Even in this time, Jesus sees people who are in need and he feels compassion for them. And that means, dear sinner, those of you here, who identify as sinners, he feels compassion for you. Right? He looks at the ways that you failed this morning, he looks at the ways that you failed yesterday, he looks at the fa- ways that you failed this a- will fail this afternoon, and he looks at you and says, I have compassion on what you're going through. I have compassion toward you. Beautiful, absolutely remarkable nugget that's just thrown in here as an aside. So he has compassion and he begins to teach them. And the disciples, of course, are wondering, how long is he going to go on? 
you know, when is he going to stop? I mean, we have about a 30-minute sermon here. People know how long it is, and, you know, they sort of have a schedule to go by. But imagine these disciples saying, I wonder when he's going to stop. When is he going to get tired? And he's going on teaching, and um, finally, uh, it says in verse 35, and when it, quote, grew late, right, it's getting towards the end of the day, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And then in verse 37, Jesus says to them, no, you give them something to eat. Can you imagine the desperation in their voice, the exasperation in their voices? Right? Jesus had just told them that they should come away and rest that they should lay down their burdens, that they should go have some R&R, they should enjoy Sabbath. And now, here they are, facing 5,000 people, and Jesus says, you know what, I want you to feed them now. Right, and friends, I'll tell you that because I think it is absolutely critical that in the plan of Jesus Christ, oftentimes for you, before it gets better, when you're overwhelmed, first, it has to get worse. That is often the case. Before it will get better, it often has to get worse. And that's exactly what happens for these folks. Can you imagine the exasperation in their voices where they say, look, not only are we exhausted, not only can we barely stand, do you have any idea how much that's going to cost us? Do you have any idea how much money that would take to feed all of these people? Well, Jesus directs, uh, asks them how much they have, and then he directs them to sit down in groups by hundreds and fifty. I, you know, as I estimated, that would be between fifty and seventy-five sections. Jesus lifts the bread, he gives thanks, and they distribute this bread to all the people. And then verse forty-three says, "And they took up twelve baskets full of." broken pieces of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. And friends, this, it's interesting, uh, this miracle is one of the few miracles that occurs in all four Gospels. Every single Gospel writer found that this miracle, in particular, had to be recorded if they were going to tell the story of Jesus Christ. And that's not surprising, because Mark will come back to it twice and make reference to the lives and the thinking of these apostles and the way that they responded in particular to these events. And we're going to come back to that just in a minute. So finally, finally, uh, everyone eats and they're satisfied and you know they're having their power nap after all that. And it says in verse 45, immediately he, that is Jesus, quote, made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side. I, I don't think it took much convincing. Right? I, I think you guys can finally just go on and leave the crowd and go ahead of us. Just go on and do that. Right? And these folks, experienced uh, fishermen, they were very experienced at sea. They get into the boat, and what do they find? The wind is so strong that they can't even make it to the other side. And, you know, I was surprised. I'm not a very good at geography, but I looked up the distance. It is only a few miles from where they were to where they were going, and they are rowing all night, all night, and they can't make any headway, the Scripture says. So here you go. You come back. You're emotionally, spiritually, physically exhausted. You're told that you're going to get a break, 
You then go and are met by the largest catering event of your entire life, and the screens aren't working, by the way. Okay. You somehow, by some miracle, there is actually enough food. You distribute it to everyone. Everyone's really satisfied. There's even stuff left over. You're then put in a boat to finally, you think, go to the other side, have a little bit of a break. You're, you're thinking this is going to be nice. It's only a few miles across the lake. You get in, and the wind is so overwhelming that you cannot make any progress. You are rowing all night. Okay. All right. So Jesus,、uh, his disciples go to try to get to the other side. They are rowing kind of pointlessly. Jesus goes up to pray, and it says there,、um, verse forty-eight. He sees that they're making headway painfully, and about the fourth watch of the night. About 3 a.m.,、uh, he comes to them walking on the sea, and then there's this very interesting statement. He meant to pass them by, right? And I have no—I just want to be honest with you. I have no idea what that's talking about, right? You know, you're looking at these guys. I mean, they're like crying over here, and you're like,、hmm, "How about that?" <laughs> just, just walking by them, like, "Yeah, you, you should just get out and join me." That's like, why are you rowing? Just gets but walks by them. They see him and they scream in utter terror, right? Because they think that he's a ghost. And Jesus gets in the boat,、uh, and immediately when he gets in the boat,、uh, the wind calms down,、um, and he says in verse fifty,、uh, "Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid." And he got in the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And of course.、Uh, Uh, things were good at that point. And friends, I want to ask you this question: What is going on here? Okay, why is he making it worse for them? What is going on? Like this is all very intentional. There's this is all you know. Jesus, knowing everything, like he knew about the crowds coming. He probably sent the wind to them. These poor people, right, going pointlessly, fighting this wind, rowing with all their might, right. What is going on? Why would he do this if they need rest, right? And friends, I just want to tell you, like this is not theoretical. Some of you I know are in this exact place in your lives, right? You're at this place and you're saying, "God, I need a break. I need to rest. I need to slow down. I need to chill out." And he's like, "Sure, come away with me." Oh, by the way, <laughs> can you just feed all these people first, right? Can you just do that? And you're, and you're like, "Really?" You then go do that, and he says, "Okay, now it's time. You can just go to the other side. You can go, you can go down to this island and be by yourselves and enjoy some peace and quiet." And they get in the boat, really ready for this. And then all of a sudden, there is a wind that they cannot penetrate through. And they said, "Really, friends? That's you know, I've heard these exact words、uh, come out of my own mouth. I've heard them come out of yours as well. Really, really." And, and the one that you're really saying it to is not me. It's not the air. The person you're actually addressing, if you're honest, is the Lord. Really, this is what you really have for me. This is your quote-unquote good plan for me. This is where I'm really at. And so, friends, this is not a theoretical. This is not an academic question. This is a question for you in your lives. Why? Oh, why? Oh, why? Would Jesus? Say to exhausted people, why would his plan be for it to get worse before it gets better? Why would he do that? 
And what does he want from you in that? Some of you are in that place right now. So this is very contemporary, very much your life. What is he doing? That is the question. Well, the scripture answers it, I believe, in the concluding verse uh, that is referenced here. It says this, hear now these words. And Jesus got into the boat with them, the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. They were utterly surprised. Why? Verse 52, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Do you hear that? This is what the, the narrator is going to go at, at length. They, they will, this will be brought up again in Mark's gospel just in a couple chapters. Says, the disciples were utterly astounded, utterly surprised, utterly shocked that the wind would cease for the man that just fed 5,000 people with a small lunch, Right, that he was just walking on water, commanding the molecules in the water to support his weight, And they were utterly astounded, and the narrator tells us the reason they were so utterly astounded at who Jesus was is because they did not understand what he had just done. And it explains why it is this miracle appears in all four Gospels, why it is so important to Jesus, why it is so important to us. And this is what I believe. Come away and rest a while. Come to a desolate place. Right, go to the lake. Go to the lake house. Right? Very different experience. What is he doing? What is he going on? Answer is this. The rest that you actually need, the rest that I need, the medicine for your weary souls is not simply to go to the lake house, it's not simply to have a cessation of responsibilities, but the rest that you actually most deeply need right here today, or right when you're in crisis, or right when you're exhausted, or right when everything is going wrong, when everyone is, when you're failing everyone, the rest that you actually need comes from understanding the loaves. Unless you understand the loaves, you cannot ever rest as God intended. Do you hear that? That is the key. That is, this is what's going to come up again. This is not uh, this is not me trying to make a big deal of something that's not. This will come from Jesus' words again a couple chapters later. He says, didn't you understand the loaves? In fact, he'll feed, he'll have them feed 4,000 people again, right? And, they, and you know what, friends? This is what's so shocking about that. They have this situation where they feed the 5,000 people. Jesus walks on water. He commands the winds. And then again... There will be another crowd, this time of 4,000. It's a more modest size. And he will say, you give them something to eat. And guess what they'll say in return? You know, they won't say, hey, remember when you did that really cool thing? Right? They'll say, how in the world do you expect us to feed these folks? Right? Answer, meaning, seeing the power of Christ was not enough to help them understand what had just happened And if they didn't understand it, then chances are high that we do not understand it as well. Okay? In order to truly rest, in order to find the rest that you need, what is most essential is understanding who is the Lord of provision. Right? Who is the Lord of provision? And if if you do not understand that, 
right? Likely the explanation for you and for me is identical for the explanation that was given for these disciples in verse 52 where he says, it's because their hearts were hardened, right? And if you remember back to our series in Exodus, this is Exodus language that's being used here. This is the uh, same language used of Pharaoh himself as he sees miracle after miracle after miracle, and he continually makes decisions as though God has no power in the same way as we see miracle after miracle after miracle in our lives of provision when things are provided for, when God does what we need, maybe not on our timetable, and then the next crisis happens and we act as though he is not real, that he doesn't exist. The reason we do that is because our hearts are hardened. And so how might understanding the loaves or not affect your life? Well, let me give you a couple ideas. Number one, if your entire life or a significant portion of it revolves around the securing of provision, right? If, if your life at the end of the day revolves around the securing of provision, you probably do not understand the meaning of the loaves. On the other side, understanding the meaning of the loaves results in an increase of risk-taking, okay? If you understand the meaning of the loaves, I believe that will result in an increase of risk-taking, right? That's, that's basically the point here. What Jesus is saying is, look, if you understood that I'm the Lord of provision, then when I go out and tell you to do things, you wouldn't freak out. You wouldn't raise all these objections about how are we going to do this, how are we going to do that. You would go out with confidence in me. Now, the scripture is not uh, presenting being reckless. I'm not presenting being reckless. But I'll tell you this, friends. There is a degree to which some of you will, will not consider taking a risk, say, for example, uh, in talking to a neighbor and inviting them to an evangelistic event, right? You're saying, I'm, I'm unwilling to take that risk. I'm unwilling that they might think less of me, right? And if that's the case, chances are, you don't understand about the Lord of provision, right? Others of you are not sleeping at night. You're worrying about money or relationships or health or all sorts of things, right? And to a certain extent, you might not be understanding the loaves here today. That's the first thing, right? Um, thirdly, another way that this might work its way out is this. Some of you are saying, I don't you know, my whole life doesn't revolve around these things. Um, they, I'm a balanced person. I do all these balanced things. What about this? If you are someone who always has to control every circumstance or perhaps every person, then you do not understand the meaning of the loaves. And friends, I'll just tell you that um, if you're a parent, when you begin to have kids of a certain age range that will go unmentioned, but... Um, it ends with teen, okay? When you begin to do that, part of what you experience is that you no longer have the ability to control that you once did, right? When kids are little, you can just basically force them to do things to a point, right? You have the ability to parent in far different ways than when they reach the teen years. And when they reach the teen years, one of the most frightening things for a parent is realizing that I do not have the ability to control. I have to let go. Right? And if you're someone that really cannot let go, whether it be in parenting or in um, other contexts, then probably you do not understand the meaning of the loaves. 
You know, one of the blessings that has come to Ironworks and that I, I'm so thankful for is that, you know, as we were started, I was a terrible fundraiser, and so we didn't have money, right? And we didn't have a lot of things. And so we had folks that said, you know what, what we need is we need to regularly cry out to the Lord for specific things. We started this prayer meeting that we have every other month, and we began to see the Lord move in power to meet our needs, usually or almost always never more than we needed, but just enough. And that began to slowly break open the hardness in my skull, teaching me that he is the Lord of provision. Not in the exact way that I would imagine, not in the exact way I would think. We would pray for things that would be answered differently than how we expected them to, but he is the Lord of provision. And so the last way that you might understand that you might not be a person who understands the loaf is by looking at your prayer life, looking at the way that you talk to God about these things. Uh, if you are not a person of prayer, if you are not regularly taking your burdens to the Lord, then chances are that you do not understand the meaning of the loaves. So what are we to do? Well, friends, I want to invite you, wherever you are, but particularly those of you who are in, who are identifying with the disciples in the state of exhaustion, if that's where you are today especially, I want to exhort us all to take some time to cry out to the one who has power over the wind, power over the bread, power over the things that are keeping you awake at night. Right? Whatever it is that's keeping you awake at night, whatever your thing is, Jesus is unmistakably presented in this passion as Lord over those things. Take some time and recognize that and cry out to him in prayer. And friends, I want to just ask you and invite you to imagine what freedom could be yours if this understanding begins to break through in your hearts, right? It's hard to wait. It's hard to wait when you, when you feel like there's something you need and it's not happening and you're praying and maybe you stop praying and you're saying, I'll move on from this. It's hard in that situation. But Jesus is intent. His, he has a priority to break through our minds, our hard hearts, and to show us that he is the Lord of provision. But it will be in his way and in his time. And he invites us to experience his freedom as he communicates those things. So this is where we are, uh, friends. For the disciples, uh, rest is good. But before they could truly rest... They needed first for it to get worse in order to have their eyes opened to the bread of life. And friends, we're going to turn to this table here now. And as we turn to this table, we actually see the deeper meaning of the loaves, right? See, the disciples didn't understand the meaning of the loaves, as I've been saying uh, repeatedly. But the meaning of the loaves would only be displayed not simply in the provision of calories, but in the very breaking of the body of Jesus Christ. You see, you and I have hard hearts. We are slow to trust. We are slow to believe. We are slow to understand. And Jesus looks at our hard hearts and he says, you know what? The only way to break through to Darren's hard heart is for my own body to be broken itself. And that is what he does in the end as he explodes the meaning of the loaves as his body is broken for us. Let me pray for us.